The following presentation of Walking Through the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions is from a previous broadcast and is a production of Take 12 Recovery Radio. Some portions of this show may have included promotions or giveaways that were time-sensitive and may no longer be applicable. To listen and download more of Walking Through the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions, visit our website at take12radio.com and click on Recovery Workshops. Now it's time to say goodbye to all our company. Soon. Why? Because we like you. The views expressed on this episode of Walking Through the Twelve Steps and Twelve Traditions with Chris Schroeder. Do not necessarily reflect those of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting or our affiliates. KHLT is not affiliated with any particular 12-step fellowship. Now here's those two guys who investigate prior to contempt, Chris and the Monty Man. And we hope we haven't done this thing in a Mickey Mouse fashion, but, uh, you know, uh, all good things must come to an end. Of course, you don't have to completely drop this uh, this ball that we've created. You can go back and, and play this over and over again here at TakeTwelveRadio.com on your internet dial. Walking through the 12 steps and 12 traditions, this is our last broadcast uh, as we uh, unpack tradition 12. And I, I don't think we've been too Mickey Mouse. Do you, Chris? I, I think we've been pretty thorough. Uh, and that, that intro uh, brought me back. I, re- I remember as a very small kid hearing that. And and that actually, I tried to find the original. That's not the original. The original, they said, why? Because we love you. And then That's the what po- I thought. Yeah. 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 And then the political correctness thing was uh, really taken off, and so they had to change it. But um that was still the original Mickey Mouse Club, however, and uh, yeah, it, it, it took me back too. And I just thought I'd get a little goofy today uh, because this this is our last broadcast. So uh, okay, so we haven't been doing this Mickey Mouse. We've been doing this very thoroughly, just like we did with walking through the Big Book. And I, I would have to say, and in talking to other people that have listened to this series that we've done, this workshop that once again, this has been extremely comprehensive. And I think that anybody uh, who wants to enhance their uh, 12-step uh, process really needs to listen to this. This is this is what we've said before, and you've said it so, so well, is, uh, Chris, is that this is not uh, to be used to actually as a guide to uh, applying and implementing those 12 steps. What exactly has this been? Well, 
when this book was originally written, uh, certainly the main focus for Bill Wilson, as he was uh, as he was as he was writing this, was with the traditions. The traditions are what he wanted to get published. Uh, he wrote the the twelve essays on the steps uh, in support of the traditions to make sure that the this book would sell. He knew a book on the twelve traditions isn't going to go anywhere. <laughs> so, uh, but. But uh, the uh, the alcoholic being self-centered and self-absorbed, you give them 12 essays on steps that will improve their life, and it'll fly off the shelves. And that's basically what happened. Now, now it doesn't mean that the essays on the steps are not powerful. There's some incredibly good writing, and they're incredibly insightful, uh, especially when you look at uh, how deeply they, uh, they, they pin the alcoholic to the wall with uh, with their belief systems and you know how how they operate, uh, it's it, you know there's truly some great great writing in here. Um, you know we're at uh, we're at tradition twelve now. We're at the we're at the last tradition and that's the last piece of this book. And we're going to be talking about that tonight. And uh, I believe that all of these traditions were something that Bill thought very very strongly about. Almost from the get go, they were uh, you know they were in his mind and he was. Uh, he was processing uh, uh, these these specific, uh, specific concepts, and uh, you know, just waiting for the time when he could, uh, you know, he could memorialize them, and uh, and then uh, put them into the structure of Alcoholics Anonymous, so that Alcoholics Anonymous has has some protection against uh, you know uh, against power drivers and against against basically the things that happened with the Washingtonians and. Some of the other early societies, uh, even the Oxford group, was was uh, was fast disappearing by the time uh, he was doing uh, doing these traditions. So he saw what could happen to societies, and you know he wanted to he wanted to protect them from them right. else, you know, protect AA from itself. And it ha- it has been said, like so many organizations, that if we're going to fall apart, it's going to be from within, right? Yeah, and he also thought that the traditions on anonymity and some of the other traditions were going to protect AA from the outside. So uh, he knew that he knew that uh, by staying right size, and some of the traditions really try to keep Alcoholics Anonymous right size, uh, it was going to reduce the amount of uh, of flack coming from uh, coming from external sources. You know, in, in today's day and age. Uh, Monty, where anybody can be, you know, in the media, uh, practically anybody can put, you know, opinions up on YouTube and stuff like that. There's been some real attacks uh, on Alcoholics Anonymous by yeah. very bitter people who who don't really under- even understand what Alcoholics Anonymous is. Uh, I think, uh, you know, I, I, I think that there's all kinds of attacks happening today. They're just not very meaningful. Uh, they're they're not large scale and they're not meaningful. However, you know they're happening. Uh, back in uh, back in the fifties, uh, the type of media attack that could have happened could have destroyed Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, you know, so so he was really being uh, being very careful with these traditions. Sure, sure. All right, Tradition Twelve. Launch us forth, there, my brother. Okay, well, Tradition Twelve is. Uh, it's an anonymity tradition. Uh, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Uh, again, money. Before I start reading this, you know, I believe so much in the spirit of this tradition. 
I, I just believe that there's been damage. We talked about this last week and some of the weeks before. I believe that there's been damage in the, the misunderstanding of, uh, of uh, anonymity as a spiritual tradition. Uh, anonymity, as it uh, is basically uh, talked about in the 12 and 12, is something I, I believe strongly in. The, the problem is, is I don't believe that uh, anonymity means we should be uh, we we should engage in secrecy as far as our recovery is is concerned. Uh, I don't think we should be uh, blasting it from the rooftops that we're a member of any specific twelve step fellowship or or sport. Pretend like we're speaking for a specific twelve step fellowships. Uh, that's that's really wrong to do, and I understand that. Uh, but as far as uh, letting people know that, um, let's say you you know you were an active alcoholic and you're not anymore, or you've got you've had really strong experience with, you know, some bad uh, uh, a bad drug addiction problem, and you have recovered from that, and you know you're you would you would be happy uh, to to help someone who wanted uh, wanted help with that same type of a problem. I, you know, I think, I think, uh, uh, I think it's a, the human thing to want to be of help, and sometimes people misunderstand uh, because of these specific traditions and think that they should just go underground. You know, you know, I've been parking my car on the neighbor's lawn every night for 20 years, and now I'm in <laughs> now I'm in AA. Uh, you know, I don't want anybody to know I'm in AA, so I'm going to go to AA five towns away. I mean, it's it's kind of silly, but uh, yeah. <laughs> again, let's let's look what it, let's look at what it actually says here. The spiritual substance of anonymity is sacrifice, because AA's twelve traditions repeat, repeatedly ask us to give up personal desires for the common good. We realize that the sacrificial spirit, well symbolized by anonymity, is the foundation of them all. It's an AA, It is AA's proved willingness to make these sacrifices that gives people their high confidence in our future. But in the beginning, anonymity was not born of confidence. It was the child of our early fears. Our first nameless groups of alcoholics were secret societies. New prospects could find us only through a few trusted friends. The bare hint of publicity, even for our work, shocked us. Though ex-drinkers, we still thought we had to hide from public distrust and contempt. You know, some of that's not not exactly true. I think they were looking for publicity in the early days. You know, Jackie Alexander and stuff like that uh, really helped Alcoholics Anonymous grow. I think what they were mainly afraid of, like during the writing of the book Alcoholics Anonymous Money, was that this would become such a big deal that there would be 4,000 letters a day uh, and and four thousand people a day wanting membership in Alcoholics Anonymous, mm-hmm. they wouldn't be able to service that that kind of demand. And uh, you know, I think that was really the motivation for anonymity in the very beginning. And slowly, uh, you know, that that uh, anonymity tradition kind of morphed into what he's talking about in this book. Right, right. When the big book appeared in 1939, we called it Alcoholics Anonymous. Let's forward made this revealing statement. It is important that we remain anonymous because we are too few at present to handle the overwhelming number of personal appeals which may result from this publication. Being mostly business or professional folk, we could not well carry on our occupations in such an event. Uh, between these lines, it is easy to read uh, our fear uh, that large numbers of incoming people might break our enemy wide open. 
As the AA groups multiplied, so did anonymity problems. Enthusiastic over the spectacular recovery of a brother alcoholic, we'd sometimes discuss those intimate and harrowing aspects of his case meant for his sponsor's ear alone. The aggrieved victim would then rightly declare that his trust had been broken. When such stories cut into circulation outside of AA, the loss of confidence in our anonymity promise was severe. It frequently turned people from us. Clearly, every AA member's name and story, too, had to be confidential, if he wished. This was our first lesson in the practical application of anonymity. With characteristic intemperance, however, some of our newcomers cared not at all for secrecy. They wanted to shout AA from the housetops and did. Alcoholics barely dry rushed about bright-eyed, buttonholing anyone who would listen to their stories. Others hurried to place themselves before microphones and cameras. Sometimes they got distressingly drunk and let their groups down with a bang. They had changed from AA members into AA show-offs. This phenomenon of contrast really set us thinking. Squarely before us was the question, how anonymous should an AA member be? Our growth made it plain that we couldn't be a secret society, but it was equally plain that we couldn't be a vaudeville circuit either. The charting of a safe path between these extremes took a long time. As a rule, the average newcomer wanted his family to know immediately what he was trying to do. He also wanted to tell others who had tried to help him, his doctor, his minister, and close friends. As he gained confidence, he felt it right to explain his new way of life to his employer and business associates. When opportunities to be helpful came along, he found that he could talk easily about AA to almost anyone. These quiet disclosures helped him to lose his fear of the alcoholic stigma and spread the news of AA's existence in his community. Many a new man and woman came to AA because of such conversations. Though not in the strict letter of anonymity, such communications were well within its spirit. So it's, it's difficult to probe through this writing, Monty, uh, because it's, it's a little bit convoluted as far as, is he talking about secrecy? Is he talking about anonymity? He's talking about, yes, you can talk to your friends, but you don't want to be a show-off. It's very, very difficult to understand exactly, you know, where the line in the sand is drawn. And again, you know, I would go back to the black part of the tradition, where it basically says uh, a membership, uh, last name, and picture, where it concerns press, radio, TV, and and film. Uh, that's really what I consider, you know, an anonymity break. And and there's been some. I, I'll tell you, it's interesting. Down in, down in Texas, there's someone who keeps track of anonymity breaks <laughs> around the country, and really, really interesting. And and what I'm what I mean by anonymity breaks is someone usually it's usually a politician or uh, someone in someone in, a performer, you know, like a comedian or an actor or somebody. And here's basically what what they do: they follow these anonymity breakers very very closely. And they've found that there's an, a well over 90% relapse rate for people that break their anonymity in the press. In other words, someone that says, hey, you know, I know I was a, I was a drunk for many, many years, but I've stopped drinking. I'm going to AA now. AA meetings are great. I'm having a lot of fun there. Uh, these, these people that study anonymity breaks uh, have found that well over 90% of the people that break their anonymity, whether they're politicians or whether they're, you know, uh, performers, 
uh, get drunk again. Uh, it's 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 bad karma to do that in the press. <laughs> I just uh, I I just can't imagine somebody having that much time on their hands. Well, you know, I'll give you a couple of a couple of examples. You know, one one of them was a comedian I, I had a, I, I liked a lot, Sam Kennison. You know, he he got uh, you know he got sober and he started talking. From he did his his routine, his comedy routine, and he added a lot of AA stuff in it. And you know, you know, it's not just him. There's been a, there's been a number of them. Almost all of them uh, got drunk, and and many are dead now. You know, because of uh, of the nature of alcoholism and drug addiction. Uh, you know, it, I, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what. There's a time and a place. Now, there's also you probably couldn't shake a stick in a meeting in California without hitting movie stars and rock stars. You know, I'm certainly not going to get into who who of them are in, in the 12-step fellowships. But, you know, it, it kind of becomes known. It's mm-hmm. not like they break their anonymity, but it kind of becomes known just basically, you know, within the fellowships and people talk. Now, there's a couple of them that are really, really uh, wonderful actors and wonderful rock and roll musicians, and they do not break their anonymity, but it, it's kind of it's kind of known, you know, through word of mouth that they're good members and they help out other people. They help out other rock musicians or they help out other actors and actresses. And that's that's kind of cool when uh, when you when you hear it that way. When they brag and when they you know go on a an interview show and and openly admit it, it there's just something something wrong. Yeah. Uh, about that, yeah. you know, and and really, what what it is 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 these twelve step fellowships, Monty, are perfect in and of themselves. Uh, rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed the paths of these twelve step fellowships because of the steps. The problem is, rarely do you see one of these anonymity breakers thoroughly following the path. So they usually get drunk, and then that's usually a black eye for whatever fellowship that we're talking about. Someone's someone's only exposure to AA or NA or whatever may be that they heard about such and such a person being in it, and then such and such a person getting another DUI or having to go off to celebrity rehab again or something. You, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, I I want to bring up uh, whenever I've had this discussion with people. I I always bring up uh, Doctor Bob and the Good Old Timers. Um, which, for listeners to, who may not know, this is AA conference approved literature. Once again, uh, and and I always and I and I quote from page two sixty four. Doctor Bob said there were two ways to break the anonymity tradition. Number one, by giving your name at the public level of press or radio, and number two, by being so anonymous that you can't be reached by other drunks. Now he continues to say. Uh, since our tradition on anonymity designates the exact level, and I underline that exact level, where the line should be held, and then he then he gets kind of uh, sarcastic here, and, and I love his humor. It must be obvious to anyone who can read and understand the English language that to maintain anonymity at any other level is definitely a violation of this tradition. The AA who hides his identity from his fellow AA by using only a given name violates the tradition, 
just as much as the AA who permits his name to appear in the press in connection with matters pertaining to AA. The former is maintaining his anonymity above the level of press, radio, and films, and the latter is maintaining his anonymity below the level of press, radio, and films, whereas the tradition states that we should maintain our anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. I absolutely love that because that really says it all, doesn't it? It it does. It does. And uh, again, you know, knowing the history a little bit, I know that Dr. Bob had a different different take on the traditions and on what, what was, what was good practices in, in, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, he had a different take than Bill, but they, they, they you know, they never really had big arguments about right. it. Uh, you know, Bill was getting these things pushed through right around the time of, uh, the, the, Bill was getting the traditions pushed through right around the time of Dr. Bob's death. So, you know, I, I think that doc, Dr. Bob acquiesced, uh, to, to the steps. I don't know that if he really thought uh, that they were as important as Bill did. You know, they were doing it differently. They were more evangelical. They were more. They were more uh, in your face about it in Akron and Cleveland. You know, they put ads in the paper. That, you know, they do whatever they needed to do to find still sick and suffering alcoholics. I mean, that's what they were doing. And yeah. uh, uh, again, you know, who's to say that that's uh, you know that's that's really the wrong way to do it? They were more successful. Than uh, than the New York uh, the New York branch as far as you know uh, membership and and getting and retaining uh, you know members and, and and if I'm not mistaken it seems to me like I and I may be wrong but it seems to me I read somewhere somebody said uh, in conference approved literature that anonymity ha- personal anonymity has no place within the fellowship of AA. Well, you know, it can be stupid, uh, you know, to do it inside of, of meetings and for people to think that you need to be, you know, uh, to do it inside of meetings. Uh, I don't know. There's been there's been a lot of cases of people going to the hospital to visit uh, Bummed Out Bob. Right. Uh, you know what room Bummed Out Bob is in? <laughs> you, you, know, you know what I mean? Well, what's his last name? Well, well we don't know because he's never shared that with us. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. just kind of—that's kind of silly. And uh, and it, listen, if if we're if if you're supposed to be at the place where you could be of maximum benefit to other people, you know, that's not in some bunker underground without anybody knowing where you live or what your last name is. Right. That's that that's silly. Sure. Uh, you, you know. Yeah. So let's see here. What else has it got? Uh, but it became apparent that the word of mouth method was too limited. Our work, as such, needed to be publicized. The AA groups would have to reach quickly as many despairing alcoholics as they could. Consequently, many groups began to hold meetings which were open to interested friends and the public so that the average citizen could see for himself just what AA was all about. And this is, you know, from almost in the beginning, most of the meetings, Monty, were open, which means anybody could come. That only alcoholics could participate and share and tell their story but everyone was was welcome. Mm -hmm. The response to these meetings was warmly sympathetic. Soon groups began to receive requests for AA speakers to appear before civic organizations, church groups, and medical societies. Provided anonymity was maintained on these platforms and reporters present were cautioned against the use of danger pictures, the result was fine. Then came our first few excursions into major publicity, which were breathtaking. Cleveland's plain dealer articles about us ran that town's membership from a few into hundreds overnight. 
the news stories of Mr. Rockefeller's dinner for Alcoholics Anonymous helped double our total membership in a year's time. Jack Alexander's famous Saturday Evening Post piece made a, a national institution. Such tributes as these brought opportunities for still more recognition. Other newspapers and magazines wanted AA stories. Film companies wanted to photograph us. Radio and finally television besieged us with requests for appearances. What should we do? As this tide offering top public approval swept in, we realized that it could do us incalculable good or great harm. Everything would depend on how it was channeled. We certainly couldn't afford to take the chance of letting self-appointed members present themselves as messiahs representing AA before the whole public. The promoter instinct in us might be our undoing. If even one publicity uh, got uh, one, if even one publicly got drunk or was lured into using AA's name for his own purposes, the damage might be irrevocable. At, at this altitude, press, radio, films, and tele television. Anonymity, 100% anonymity, was the only possible answer. Here, principles would have to come before personalities without exception. These experiences taught us that anonymity is real humility at work. It is an ever, it is an all-pervading spiritual quality which today keynotes AA life everywhere. Moved by the spirit of anonymity, we try to give up our natural desires for personal distinction as AA members, both among fellow alcoholics and before the general public. As we lay aside these very human aspirations, we believe that each of us takes part in the weaving of a protective mantle which covers our whole society and under which we may grow and work in unity. We are sure that humility, expressed by anonymity, is the greatest safeguard that Alcoholics Anonymous can ever have. And, you know, again, uh, again, these are all very, very good principles, but you know where are, where is the line in the sand in what we can do as recovered alcoholics and not necessarily members of any twelve step fellowship? What can we do? And I believe we can do a lot. We can do a whole lot. We never want to put ourselves in a position where we're going to be uh, able to harm one of the twelve step fellowships body. Right. But uh, but as as free people. Uh, we can uh, we can shout from the rooftops if we want uh, that we've been relieved of the alcoholic obsession. I think sometimes that's that's a good thing to do. Uh, you know, do do you do you want to do what Bill was afraid of most, which was that somebody from Cleveland or something would you know appoint themselves as uh, Alcoholics Anonymous's new Messiah or something? Uh, you know, of course that would be damaging, and of course that would. Uh, that that would be uh, just crazy, and and anybody capable of doing that, you have to look at their spiritual condition and understand that they're about as close to relapse as possible. If they even want to try something like that uh, to damage a society that's doing so much good, but but a whole group of people, uh, there's about 20 million sick and suffering alcoholics just in America today, Monty, you know, to, to try to carry a message to them that there's uh, there treatment, there's treatment options available, recovery is possible, permanent sobriety is possible. To share a message like that, that's important. There's 20 million people dying of alcoholism. Mm -hmm. Something has to be done. Uh, you know, the, cer certainly the government's not doing anything. So certainly the medical uh, in industries are not doing anything. You know, nobody's nobody's uh, uh, advocating for these people. 
uh, not the way that they should be, considering it's the number one health threat in the country today, uh, alcoholism and drug addiction. There's, there's no, you know, nobody's standing up for these people because of the stigma. You know, somebody has to be on the firing line. Somebody has to be letting people know that, you know, help is available. Not, not necessarily that Alcoholics Anonymous help is available, but that help is available. Does that make yeah, any sense? Yeah, yeah, you you bet. And and if not if not us, who? <laughs> you you know, really, you, you said it all. Let, let me um, let me address this um, principles before personalities statement. Okay. Um, here it says here in the paragraphs, uh, uh, the next to the last. Your principles would have to come before personalities without exception. How many times have we heard uh, principles before personalities used out of context to stop an argument or or to uh, to prove somebody's right about something or wrong about something or, you know, just to make peace or whatever? And really, that's not what I'm seeing. What I'm seeing this means is that the principles, the spiritual principles of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous needs to come first before the uh, media hype lifting up somebody as an individual personality. Am I wrong in that? Well, well you know, Monty, you're not, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Uh, pr- the principles are something that I absolutely agree with. Um, you know, abrasive and damaging personalities are certain, certainly something I disagree with. So, I, you know, I understand what, what, what Bill was up to. Uh, I just, I'm just not sure that he put it the best way that it could be put. I'm not sure that the writing in these traditions lends the lends lends itself to the public advocacy yeah. that needs to happen in America today. You know what I'm saying? Sure, sure. And and isn't anonymity real? I mean, I love what it says here. It says these experiences taught us that anonymity is real humility at work. That anonymity goes much deeper than any press, radio, and film thing, doesn't it? It's it's a real uh, personal application that that one learns through humility and maturity. Well, you know, let's look at humility uh, for for a second. Uh, my, you know, my favorite defer- definition of humility, and, and everybody can have their own. My favorite definition of humility is an accurate self appraisal. You know, mm-hmm. not thinking, not thinking that you're better than you are or you're less than you are, but understanding truly what what your role is on this planet as a as a, a spiritual being having a human experience. Uh, you know, that humility is necessary, I believe, uh, for sobriety. It's it's a result of the practice of spiritual principles, and it comes from the your participation in the maintenance of your spiritual condition. And, and you know, you, you can't really do all these steps and remain, you know, this crazed egotistical extrovert. It, it's that's just not what not what happens. What what happens is you have a <laughs> you have a good accurate depiction of you know who you are and and uh, just how important you are and and not in not in not an exaggerated one and not, you know, a reduced one. So uh, so humility is very, very important. I think Bill struggled with it especially because he, uh, you know, he always knew that he was like a number, he needed to be a number one guy. He had to be the president of whatever, you know, group he was with. Right. And certainly that, that's a characteristic so, some alcoholics have, not everyone. 
but some of them have, and, and that kind of has to be mastered. That that out of control ego has to be mastered, or it's gonna, you know, it's it's not gonna allow you to stay sober. Um, so, so humility needs to be uh, needs to be nurtured, and uh, you need to be practicing the spiritual living that uh, will result in in uh, in humility. Hopefully, you know, during the process, some somewhere. Um, and he believed that uh, that humility was attached to uh, anonymity uh, because he he saw a lot of crazy stuff in the in the early days, you know, especially coming out of Akron. And but not only there, you know, some things were going on in New York and some of the other early groups that were that were uncomfortable. You know, someone someone would be the founder, and uh, it would be almost like a cultish. Uh, respect for that person was developing when, you know, Bill Wilson knew right away that you shouldn't be p- placing your, uh, placing your, 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 you shouldn't be beholden to, like, the group founder. You should, you know, you, you should be beholden to God. And if you read any of his uh, recovery literature, you'll, you'll see that he was against anybody, you know, holding authority over somebody else uh, in, in Alcoholics Anonymous. And it's a shame, you know, there, there are groups today that, that believe very, very strongly in sponsorship authority and home group loyalty. Uh, you know, if you're a home group member, you don't do anything anywhere else. And your right. sponsor tells you what color socks to wear. And, you know, and all that is an aberration of uh, the type of Alcoholics Anonymous bill was hoping would uh, would develop that the type with you know everyone uh, having a, a certain amount of humility uh, and, and not needing to be you know the number one guy he saw that as a real problem you know uh, I I just uh, I just returned from my 40th high school reunion and something I noticed uh, that was remarkable was some of the guys that uh, when I was in high school and even early college that that continued on with me, who really seemed to have a need to be number one, you know. Uh, They were not just assertive, they were aggressive. Had to be on on top of the, you know, they had to be king of the hill, they had to be uh, student body president, They they had to accomplish all these things. And what I noticed at the reunion, and this isn't the case with everybody's I found out, but it was like the great equalizer. There wasn't any bullies anymore. There wasn't any any hot shots. Nobody was trying to impress each other. Um, and these guys that were really the, 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 the big movers and shakers in high school, at least they thought they were, uh, they were very humble. They grew up. Now, I don't know if some of them had gone through a 12-step process. Perhaps they had. With statistics the way they are, I wouldn't be surprised. But we come to a place in our lives that if we don't change, if we don't mature, if we don't grow up, we're destined to repeat the same mistakes over again. And I got to tell you, that's pretty embarrassing uh, looking for the individual who's surrounded around people who have matured and they're still playing God. Yeah, you, well, you you know, you you push people away. People tolerate that, you know, not too much. Right. Somebody that has to be the the king of the hill. You, you you see it. You see it. With, you know, power power drivers are, are really not the type of people who can get sober and stay sober. 
you know, you, you, you need to be able to calm down a little bit, you know, and, and get, and, uh, be, uh, be accepting of, uh, of life the way it is and not have to beat it into submission, uh, and, and into the mold that you believe it should be in and all the other people should be in. You know, you look at, you look at, uh, the, the third step information where it says we're the actor wanting to run the whole show. Uh, you know, or we come up out of the out of the storm cellar saying, you know, don't see nothing the matter here, Ma. Ain't, ain't it yeah. the wind stop blowing? You know, we come out of the <laughs> tornado shelter. Uh, he, he understood the problems that alcoholics had with their ego, and he understood that the solution to to uh, to that that expressive, uh, you know, that expression of damaging ego, uh, the solution to that was humility and the fostering of humility. And much of the step work and, and spiritual traditions uh, and exercises foster that humility. So he, he saw that as, as a necessary quality to, uh, to long-term sobriety. Uh, he, he did, and he attached that to anonymity. You know, some people really think that he attached it to anonymity because he was worried that when, when he died, uh, you know, uh, you know, or or in areas that you know there were going to be these these crazy people who were going to take over, uh, take over AA and and you know drive it into the ground with their egos. Uh, he he and he wanted to he wanted to make sure that he put traditions in place where nobody could be any bigger than anybody else. And uh, uh, you know that's that's probably part of his motivation too. Right, right, and and you know I I've noticed. Over the 25 plus years I've been hanging out in in 12 step recovery rooms, uh, that that you can tell the people that uh, that have really not just worked these steps but but lived them and have had a genuine spiritual awakening as a result of those steps. You can tell those people because they don't blow their own horn. They may have at one time. In fact, I've watched that process happen where somebody will come in and, and man, you talk about a prima donna. And over a period of time in applying and implementing these steps and having this spiritual awakening, they change. You, you can't help but change if you are submitting yourself to the will of your creator. You can't help but change. So the opposite is true. Uh, I've seen people, I'm sure you have too, that have been around for years who haven't changed at all. And if you really try to do some investigation and, and find out where they are in any kind of step process, the, the truth of the matter is they're not. They're just yeah. meeting attenders. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, for some reason or another, they're they're okay with, uh, you know, that steady state existence. Uh, where you don't get any better, you don't get any worse. Um, I, I think I think that's that's a stall. I think that's a spiritual stall. And uh, when when an airplane stalls, what happens? It crashes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what happens. That's what happens with the 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 real alcoholic or the real drug addict, the person who is who is passed beyond human aid. Uh, they don't they don't stay in that stall. Uh, I believe that the majority of people going into AA today are are not what you would find uh, described in the book Alcoholics Anonymous. They're more problem drinkers or potential alcoholics, uh, and they can they can get into a stall. 
same thing in NA or CA. You know, these people who are drug abusers, they're, they're not what you, what you would really consider drug addicts or drug dependent. Uh, they're more drug abusers, and they can stay in a stall. The problem is, is when alcoholics or addicts uh, show up in these meetings and do exactly what the people are doing who are stalled. Uh, that's why the relapse rate, that's why, why recidivism is so high in those 12-step fellowships, Montes, because people come in and, and, and do what other people are doing, not realizing that the other people that are comprising that group are probably not alcoholics or not drug addicts. All right. Because if they really were and, and they weren't practicing steps and weren't working with other people, they would be drunk or high. Yeah, and that's that's unfortunately that's that's a predicament uh, we're in. We find ourselves in these days. Uh, you, you think there's any way to, to to wiggle ourselves out of that thing? You know, I'm not even sure it's a bad thing, except that it's dangerous for alcoholics and it's dangerous for drug addicts. Yeah, uh, there should be warning signs warning heavy drinkers inside. You know, warning every drug user inside. You know, please try to find somebody who has recovery experience. You know, from uh, uh, from, from the same type of things that you suffer from. You know, there should be warning labels right. on these meetings. You know, that there are meatheads inside, uh, because I think a lot of people do die because they're not exposed to the recovery process. I, I don't think they die because they don't want it. I think a lot of times it's the fault of the people in the meetings not not offering them the solution. Sure, you know, sure. instead they're offering them a seat in a meeting, which, you know, that's not how you treat alcoholism. You don't treat alcoholism or drug addiction by putting somebody in a seat in a meeting. What, what I'm what I'm really hoping, and and I'm getting a I'm getting a feeling inside of my gut that it's actually taking place. I hope so. Is that you and I and several other people are involved. Uh, with some organizations, uh, for example, C4, uh, that that are doing it right, that are educating and qualifying people to see if they truly are alcoholics and addicts, like like Origins does or Serenity Springs, some of these others, um, to where they can get uh, really a proper um, introduction into the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous rather than getting it from a meeting that's misinformed. I, I, I think we're on the right track, don't you? I think so, too. I, th- I, think, I think what you have to look at it is you have to look at what works. And the strange thing about the addiction of alcoholism or drug addiction, when you look at what works, you don't look forward with science. You look backward with spirituality. Mm. You, you see that the highest recovery rates were back in the past when it was a totally spiritual recovery process. And as science increased and as the therapeutic uh, 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 platform was developed, all that did was reduce the chances of people's recovery from alcoholism or drug addiction. Now, I'm not talking about the heavy drinker or the heavy drug user. I'm talking about the alcoholics now. Which, right. Which treatment, treatment centers don't even, don't even define whether you're a real alcoholic or you're a heavy drinker, they don't care. There's no, there's no upside to them. You're, you're all paying customers. There would be nothing good that would work for them if they figured out that you were an alcoholic and you were powerless over somebody who's, who's merely a disco drunk and can quit on their own power. You know, that doesn't necessarily help the, uh, the, the treatment center. 
it, it certainly helps the individuals, but it doesn't put more money in anybody's pocket in the, in the treatment world. So they don't separate the alcoholics from the non-alcoholics. They treat everybody the same, which is a gigantic mistake. Okay. The other thing that they do is they don't attach they don't attach outcomes or recovery rates to the processes that they use. Most of them. Now, you know, origins, benchmarks, serenity springs, there's a number of places that actually do. And those are those are places that, you know, I, I refer people to uh because I you know, I have personal faith in how they work. But most of these treatment centers don't even keep track of how many people have been through there in the last five years and how many of them are still sober. That's not relevant data to them, if you could imagine. Now, now, you know, imagine if you were treating people for cancer. It would be absolutely relevant data how many people have relapsed, how many, how many people have had their cancer come back. You, you've got to follow that, you know, so that you, you know that the, the interventions and the treatments that you're implementing are going to work. But for some reason, in addiction treatment, they they put you in group, and you know they they do relapse prevention, all this other crap that doesn't work, and then they release you, and and that's that. They, you know, there's many places don't even don't even keep track of you after that. You're on your own, and uh, and that's just so unethical, and and you know, so it's it should never be allowed. Uh, to go on, but you know, uh, places like C4, uh, you know, organizations like C4 are paying close attention to these problems and and are are raising a red flag. They're saying, "Wait a minute, hold on, you know, this is not working. Come on, guys, let's let's get together and let's let's find something that works." And uh, and a lot of times, what you're doing is when you say that the best thing for addiction and alcoholism is the 12 steps. What you're, what you're telling all these scientists and psychiatrists and medical doctors is all the, all their book learning doesn't mean anything. This is a, this is a spiritual recovery process. And, and so basically you're telling them that, 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 that their particular <laughs> discipline is worthless. And they're not willing to hear that. They're not willing to hear that. And I'm not even saying it's worthless. There's, there's wonderful things sure. professionals can, can accomplish. They just they just can't help you with your alcoholism or your drug addiction. Well, you know, when it comes, yeah. doesn't it come really down to this? I mean, what is more important to you as a clinician? Saving people's lives or your stupid, uh, the, the, the validation of the degree on your wall? One of the saddest things is is when you find really really honest people, you know, pe- people that really care. And I know a number of these that are because of the business nature of their treatment center, they have to do certain things that absolutely don't work because that's what's reimbursable from right. companies and Blue Cross and Blue Shield and Medicare and Medicaid. Those are the things that you have to do to get money from them, and those things don't work, you know. And and they're very very sad about it. I mean, you know, they, yes, they want to stay in business, and yes, they're helping they're helping a lot of people, mainly the people who you know haven't lost power, choice, and control, and are not really alcoholic and not really drug addicts, and they just need a, a wake up call. They're helping those people, but if they're if they're to be honest with themselves, that they know that that all they're doing is prolonging the inevitable. The inevitable. They're, they're, you know, they're keeping somebody out of the lion's den, but as soon as they let them out the front door, they're going to go back in the lion's den. And if they're honest, that they'll, they'll, they know that. 
And the sad thing is, the sad thing is, Monty, with, with almost that, without exception, uh, if you can get if you can get reimbursement for it, it's probably not going to work. <laughs> if it's going to work, you probably can't <laughs> get reimbursed for it. Because it's about God, you know. Yeah. How's how's an insurance company going to pay you to find God? How's that going to work? Right. So, so you know, you know, the book Alcoholics Anonymous is very clear. Either God has removed your obsession to drink, or God has not. You know, the big book is unapologetically right in line with the power comes from God. How do you how do you get how do you get Medicaid to pay for that? Yeah, yeah. Tell me about it. <laughs> Gee. <laughs> well, you know what? Uh, I suppose some would say it's keeping us busy, isn't it, brother? It's keeping us busy, you know, and listen, uh, the, pe- the people who are listening, who are in 12-step fellowships, brace yourselves, brace yourselves, because there's a change coming, and that change coming is going to be maybe as significant as the Hughes Act. It's going to, it's going to open up bad treatment for many, many more people than can now get it. It's a, uh, it's, it's a, uh, it's an initiative that's coming through Congress uh, and coming through the insurance companies. Basically, as we speak, it has to do with the changes in the DSM-5 and, and no. some other things. But what, what it's going to do is it's going to make uh, brief treatment processes that are almost totally ineffectual more popular and more available. And what that means is, is you're going to get a bag of pills and a, and a meeting book to, you know, a meeting book on where the AA meetings are. And, and that, that's probably what's going to happen, depending on your state. At best, you may be able to get like a, a week detox, maybe even 28 day treatment. But upon release from that, you know, guess who, guess who's going to have to step into the line of fire and really help these people? Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be the people in the 12th In the 12th oh, You know, get, get out of your comfy chair, folks. You know, right. uh, there's, a, there's a tsunami coming, and we're going to need every one of you in the trenches. And, and this supposedly is going to make it, I mean, this, this is going to make it look like the powers that be are actually doing something. Uh, it's all smoke and mirrors. Yeah. Uh, you know, what, what, it, what it is is, it's, <laughs> what it is is, it's it's a bunch of uh, pharmaceutical companies and it's a bunch of uh, uh, a bunch of insurance agencies who are saying yes we're gonna ma- we're gonna we're gonna make affordable care more uh, you know more uh, available to everybody and they're offering cheaper you know less intensive uh, interventions. Listen, a, a, medic, a, a medical uh, a pharmaceutical intervention is 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 nothing compared to putting somebody in someplace. You know, so they're they're going to have assessment tools. Uh, these assessment tools are going to uh, going to uh, you know label people for the different uh, medical interventions, uh, treatment interventions, and you know where where these people fall on that continuum. Uh, they're going to probably have more access, depending on the state you're in. They're going to have more access to to this care, and that means they're they're going to be churning out people. Uh, who are still very sick and very suffering, uh, you know, looking to continue their abstinence, and uh, and they're going to be showing up in the twelve step fellowships, and they're going to need help. Yeah, uh, they're going to need help. Don't just give them your phone number and tell them to call you. Uh, you know, don't just tell them where the next meeting is. You know, get involved with these people. Try to get them through the steps. Try to get them to God. You know, by telling somebody where the next meeting is, you're 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 just, you know, that's. 
that's an abdication of your responsibility. Your responsibility as a 12-step uh, fellowship member is to help people get through the 12 steps. You know, please yeah. understand yeah. that if you, if you understand anything. And, and for crying out loud, I beg of you, if you're listening to this broadcast right now and you've been sitting around your 12-step support meetings and you haven't gone through the 12 steps with somebody who's done it out of the book, please, please find somebody. They may not approach you. We used to make the approach. Some people may not do that these days. But please find somebody that will take you through these things the way the book spells it out so you can be of maximum service to the other folks who are going to need it. You can't have a spiritual awakening as a result of steps you haven't worked. You can't pass something on you don't have. Please just don't listen to this and turn off your computer or your smartphone and go about your merry way. We are either part of the solution or we're part of the problem. And I, I just I, I just encourage you, um, please, I, 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 I'm begging you, because uh, this is the number one health threat in our country. And we can be a part, a huge part, of uh, uh, of uh, helping people to recover from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, or we can be a detriment. It's your decision. It really is. Well, Chris, thank you so much uh, for this workshop that we've done. We've done thirty shows on this. It, it's been a pleasure. Well, Monty, I really enjoyed it. We are uh, making this available. Uh, on the website for free, you can download each individual show. Please don't use this workshop as a tool to try and work the 12 steps. This is a companion. This should go right along with walking through the big book uh, DVD. Sit down, get a sponsor if you don't have one, open that book up, and uh, begin this process that just might save your life and in the process save a whole bunch of other heartache as well. And including your family and friends and employers and, and the whole nine yards. All right. Amen, Money. Yeah, right on, right on. Our email address, take12radio at comcast.net. Until our next broadcast, next workshop, next whatever, this is the Monty Man along with Chris Schroeder, and we're wishing God's perfect serenity for you. Bye-bye. All right, hold your horses, pump the brakes. It's the Monty Man here interrupting the closing of this last episode of Walking Through the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions to give you a more detailed uh, direction on how you can download and listen to every single one of these episodes. Simply visit us at take12radio.com. Scroll down to the Recovery Workshops banner. Click on it, and on that page, you will find a number of recovery workshops, including Walking Through the Big Book and this one, Walking Through the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions. Click on that, and each one of these episodes will appear on that page. You can download and listen for free. That's Take12Radio.com. Click on Recovery Workshops, and then click on Walking Through the 12 Steps, and 12 traditions. And now we can close out the show. This has been a broadcast of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting. <laughs> <laughs>